0: I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I pay too much. I am the king of the week. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 122. 122. And I am your host, Matthew P.M. Coming at you from the Tomihisa-cho studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. The armpit of Asia. This is, of course, the podcast that covers AI markets, society 5.0, increasing conflict in the Indo Pacific, odd items, and more. Thank you for joining us today. The end of uh, November is here, We're rolling into December 2023. 2024 is just around the corner. And uh, for some reason, I often find myself still stuck in like 2019, 2020 even though I've, my world has completely changed and I'm, I'm, I'm quite busy on the family end and the family front, busy, busy, busy. But, uh, yeah, it's just it still feels like it's that time. Uh, I, I, we didn't really get anywhere beyond where we needed to go with, uh, all that COVID nonsense, did we? It's just, there it was. And it's like, now it's gone. But I'm like, is it? Can that happen like that? Okay. <laughs> but, uh, we are living in interesting times and, um, we all know that's true. We're on the threshold of something, uh, trying to keep uh, my, uh, my angles covered. And anyways, thank you for joining. we got a busy show for you today. We're very busy today as usual. um, and uh, you know, there's no anime here. There's no video games. It's it's kind of a, a big boys table for the cynical and the and not sarcastic, but uh, uh, you know, whistling past the graveyard types. Thank you. Um, we're gonna begin today with uh, a little high or not high or a little. Uh, are these people high or are they not high? High. Or not high. This comes to us from AmsterdamDroneWeek.com. And um, it's not particular to Japan, but what it is, is um, this could be a technology that could be just rolled out anywhere. Building houses with swarms of drones. Have you seen those 3D printers that are able to print houses? You just, it's like a giant arm and it pours cement and the arm just goes in a circle or in a square or in some sort of preprinted design. Like they have the, the blueprints or like software and it's in the robot and it just makes houses. I've seen those before. They're really interesting to watch. Uh, but the idea of um, taking it one step further and building houses with swarms of drones, uh, I'm not sure how that would work. So uh, again, this could be any type of technology being rolled out anywhere, especially in Japan as we face an aging population. By the way, if you ever want to relate something to Japan, just say, well, you know, it's happening not in this country, but we need to think about such things in Japan because of, you know, the declining population. <laughs> you can you can add that to anything and uh, boom, it's relevant. Thursday, September 29th, 2022. This comes to us from a while ago, but it's just kind of an interesting idea. Can you imagine drones building houses? A team of scientists from the Imperial College London and EMPA studied how drones could be part of making the construction industry greener and safer. It's always got to be greener, doesn't it? What if we can construct and build houses by combining 3D printing technology with drones? The idea of drone assisted construction was inspired by bees. These insects use a technique called weaving to build their nests and they create large yet interesting intricate structures while they work autonomously together. See this is why it's high or not high. <laughs> what? Drones building houses? That sounds like technology. Uh, no, they they're looking at bees and the weaving. Bee weavers. The team of researchers were inspired by this phenomenon and envisioned a future where swarms of drones could be used to build houses, uh, and they turned that vision into a reality. Ha, we'll just read one paragraph here. Um, wh- how does it, uh, sorry? How does the constructing with drones work? Uh, the drone assisted. Con- The drone-assisted construction is a very detailed 3D printer on a drone, and these two innovations together are programmed by the engineers in a way that they can deposit a material like cement. The researchers used scanning drones in which... Uh, in which to fly with a camera and scan everything that's been printed so far. This information can then guide the printing drones to exactly the right spot. The drone needs to stay in the right spot every time, so therefore the team came up with a print head that adjusts the position to compensate for the movement of the drone. This results in millimeter-scale precision and intricate uh, filigree-like printing. Because the drones need to work efficiently together, they decide them to be semi-autonomous and adapt uh, to changes as they're building. Uh, a very interesting idea. What do you think? Would you like to see drone swarms building houses in Japan? Or are they just high or not high? High. Or not high. High. Well, it's coming to us from Amsterdam, so you know they're high. Ever been to Amsterdam? I went there like 12 years ago. Pretty interesting place. Pretty weird place. I managed to get a hold of some uh, things that make the world look interesting. Then I went into the Body Worlds exhibit. Body Worlds is that uh, technology where they take cadavers like dead people and they inject them full of these gels and it makes the blood like thick and jelly like then they carve up all of these people into strange patterns and people donated their bodies like the archer some sort of archer donated their body and they they positioned uh, the skin is like all over the place (laughs) basketball players there's like a horse with a person on it and there's, like, no skin, but the skin is, like, hanging from the roof. And it's very interesting. Um, little evil, obviously, but it's very fascinating to see humans uh, just carved up all over the place, but done in an artistic way with some sort of patented technology. And, of course, walking around there with things that make the world look interesting from Amsterdam, wink, wink, um, made the whole experience, like, hmm. Is that a, a horse with no skin flying uh, with skin all over the ceiling? Yes, that's actually what you're looking at. You're not imagining it. Anyways, high or not high? Very high. We're going to move in today with uh, Society 5.0. Let's begin.
1: The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society... Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, Free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are.
0: So that's from the government of Japan, released in 2017. I've been tracking this. I just quickly do this every show because more and more people are tuning in. Thank you for boosting our numbers on the charts there. We saw a nice little bump. We saw a little revival. Then it kind of went down and it jumped back up again. So let's keep it going, everybody. Your likes and shares and all that do a wonderful job. So um, I worked for, for five years at a, one of the major telecommunications companies in Japan uh, as a teacher researching topics for the engineers to speak better English. If you've ever been to Japan, most people don't speak very don't speak English very well. Uh, they might write emails very well, and you can certainly be in working environments where everybody's speaking English very well. But the next room over, it's like the English level drops off dramatically. <laughs> um, and so they hired me to like help their engineers do better at like whatever they needed to do, like sale—not sales talk, but like explaining processes or. Uh, Teleconferencing, uh, that type of stuff. And part of that just involved researching a lot about AI. The company invested $100 billion into AI. And uh, some of the people that were attending the classes were involved with, you know, government negotiations for um, spectrum and all of that. And uh, that comes into Society 5.0. I showed them this and, oh, yeah, we know about that. And And I thought, well, this is a major thing because they want to transform society. (laughs) (laughs) That made me kind of listen. It's like, oh, so you have this idea to transform the society. And I've kept uh, up with it ever since. Um, And there's basically, it's evolved in the past six, seven years. Now we're in the regulatory phase. um, And previously we would assume that regulation would just mean like where and how can we use it? Like how we think with cars or something like that. Oh, we have this invention called the car. Oh, it will never be, Oh, it's being used. Okay. Well let's regulate it. We'll put them on roads. Now we can't have horses with the cars in these areas. Horses can go over there. Cars can go, Oh, you need a license and you need, uh, it all makes sense to us now. And when we think about regulating artificial intelligence, we also maybe think the same thing. Oh, where can we use it? Where can't we use it? But the entire landscape of regulation right now is in a completely different world. So our reference points don't really make a lot of sense in these terms. Uh, For example, you didn't have the green movement telling the government where the cars could be used and could not be used. Uh, You didn't have like um, people making catalytic converters being told to improve their diversity quotas or to have sustainable development goals, all of these things. So now we have this era of like hyper regulation from like an activist and, and green perspective. And I can understand some of it. Of course I get labeled like a conservative. Sometimes it's like, nah, I'm not really a conservative. I, I I can listen to conservatives. I don't hate conservatives, but it's like, eh, the people will just say, Oh, you mean you're not a complete total liberal like me? Therefore you are the enemy. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, I get that a lot. You kind of get into your own corners of, uh, of hate. And I think where are all these conservatives I hear about that are total douches. And then somebody on Twitter, like a woman will say like, I'm getting, I'll get a lot of comments from these conservative douches. And I look at them, I'm like, Oh, the conservative douches are going over to you and the liberal douches are coming over to me. Okay. I get it. Makes sense. But there's uh, with the regulation now there's kind of these two camps and uh, navigating these camps becomes increasingly uh, more strenuous for the regulation perspective, especially considering that the, you know, we have like super ultra, like uh, post-nationalist entities in a way like the United Nations and then collaborating with the World Economic Forum. And then they try to stipulate regulations on how to implement the technology. And then companies see opportunities to be monopolistic and they try to gain access to the technology and then prevent other people from using the technology by labeling it like Unsafe for green or something like that. That's kind of like where a lot of the regulation is these days. And when you, if you sit back and think about it and you think about all the stuff that's going on in like your media and like the, we need to regulate the internet and all that, that is where regulation is right now. So when we often think about like oh regulation, ah that makes sense. We don't want to drive cars around um uh, school children in the park. The cars need to be on the road. That needs to be regulated. But when we think about like that that would be coming from our logical perspective when we hear about regulations. But now when we hear about regulations, we have like this weird camp of Ideologues that are like, you must incorporate more 27% more black people to release your large language model. Otherwise, you will not get a good score and your sustainable development goals will not be at the top of the black rock investments and then you won't get the money and then you can't go to the Hawaii retreat. All that type of stuff. and Everybody's very selfish. They'll just go, all right, 27% black people, come on in. (laughs) I need to go to Hawaii. (laughs) But it's all like, no, we we, we really believe in diversity. Look, we hired 27% more black people to our workforce. Look at that. And then the green people will go, that's not enough. And you're like, what? You're a green person. What's that? Green is racism. And you're not green enough. And now you're, that's where we are. I'm going to stop it right there. But then the other camp is like the camp of engineers and um, just like people that want to make cool stuff. They see all this wireless technology and they kind of go, oh, I can put it here. I can put it there and I can combine this to that and the other thing and get some money coming in over here. And look, we have this really interesting product that didn't exist before. A t- terrible example, but it th- is the nuisance streamers. These people that go around Japan recently, um, basically just acting like total pricks to everybody, but they figured out a way to monetize it. They get like a Bluetooth speaker and they strap it onto their chest, like with a on their backpack or something like that. And then with their smartphone, they connect to a streaming uh, service like uh, Twitch or Kick or something like that. And then their followers on Kick or Twitch will start blasting really crazy songs or like porno music through the Bluetooth speaker. And then the streamer is required to always be on camera. So you have a live video feed of them going around reacting to people reacting. So it kind of pushes people to act like real dicks to each other by reinforcing all of this like noisy interference technology but then these weird people on the internet just start donating money to this streamer to to be more and more abrasive in public that didn't exist before i mean you have your bluetooth speaker let's listen to metallica you have your phone i will message my mom then you have like a payment system i'll just use my banking app but then like these weird kind of creepy weird people like they're like wait if i combine them all together I can make money. And then the money comes in and it pushes them in a certain direction. And lo and behold, it's not just a Bluetooth speaker with a messaging on app on your phone and like a banking app. It becomes something the world has never seen before. So that's like the that that's a that's a weird camp of like, and then people say well, that needs to be regulated or it needs to be shut down. And I'm like, I kind of agree. You can't turn this the the city streets into your own personal business, in my opinion. You can't go into someone's restaurant that, you know, they work really hard to just even open the doors and you stroll in with like your internet fans <laughs> and piss everybody off in the restaurant, leave with a bunch of money in your pocket and all the all the, the the real the real infrastructure is now um in a worse state than than the the selfish streamer and all that. So in that case, you could say regulation would make sense. Like you can't make money here; it's not a place for you to do business. But those those things already exist. This is quite the preamble, but this is, those are the two camps, and and there um that's where we are right now in society 5.0. This comes to us from Japan com, and this is the tech section. Robots helping to solve Japan's 2024 problem. IFR reports now. We're seeing a lot more um, robots coming to the play in Japan, and uh, good on them. Uh, warehousing robots, delivery, and uh, for your table at a restaurant, all that type of stuff. Uh, sometimes you know, like having people always coming around, you just wait for the robot. It takes it st- takes the stuff to you. It doesn't. It's just some of these some of these things. Some of these robots are finding a place in Japan. Japan faces a labor shortage impact in twenty twenty four, as well as Declining population as new overtime regulations for truck drivers come into force. This is becoming, this is being called the 2024 problem. Its potential disruptions need technological help. And now we can maybe see, like, oh, the government might be trying to push a harsher overtime laws to make these technologies emerge. So, like, they're pushing the humans out of the way and then telling mega corporations, use the robots, okay? The world's number one robot manufacturing country is developing automation strategies that will not only target logistical issues, but also a wide range of industry challenges the new working time registration will cause. Quote, the government's overtime cap is an important step to improve working in conditions for employees, end quote, says Takayuki Ito, vice president of the International Federation of Robotics. That's the IFR. Industrial and service robots deliver great solutions to automate. Robots relieve workers of dirty, dull, and dangerous work, the the triple D's, Uh, yeah, and help to close productivity gaps. Yeah, well, just as soon as we have all this inflation and and stagnant wages, uh, maybe some overtime would help, but anyways, whatever. Robots load and unload cargo. In Japan, the average annual working hours for a heavy truck driver were 2,568, which is 444 hours longer than the national average for all jobs. So they need to go. Robots speed up warehousing. Warehouse robots in use today range from compact autonomous mobile robots to large-scale automated storage and retrieval systems. Their use reduces the amount of time required to move goods, and they can handle the heavy loads. Yes, handle my load, my robot's load, and dangerous materials without putting workers at risk, without putting human workers at risk. Workplaces of the future, quote, regulations of overtime work and the demographic change. Ah, He nailed it will require the adaption of automation technology in many branches of the Japanese economy, says Takuyuki Ito, the guy from IFR, the the Federation of Robotics. The challenges of the trucking industry are good examples to show how robotics and automation deliver adequate solutions from our workplace's To the future. The International Robot Exhibition, IREX, which is one of the world's largest robot exhibitions, will be held in Tokyo on November 29th to December 2nd. And we are recording this on uh, November 28th, and it's going to be up today. So if you want to go to the International Robot Exhibition, IREX, it's going to be in Tokyo from November 29th to December 2nd. Now, this is a YouTube video, and, um, it says facts about industrial robots. Is this going to be coming in? So this is just some facts. Um, and it's like one of those YouTube videos where it has no, uh, just a bunch of stupid music in the background. And then some factoids that are displayed in text over the top, like pop-up video about 3.9 million industrial robots are operating in factories worldwide. So right now we're going to take a look at where robotics are and just give you some numbers uh, so you can get a general idea of the situation of uh, robots in the workforce. And most people don't work in these jobs, um, so you might not see them as much. And we might get like this, the public, we might see the Boston Dynamics robots jumping around and stuff like that. But those are like the, the Playboy models. (laughs) <laughs> of the robotics industry. We're going to take a look at the field workers now. The, so the 3.9 million industrial robots and factories worldwide are operating. And this comes to us from the International uh, Federation of Robotics. Um, moving on. The share of total stock. Uh, automotive, 30%. And so that makes sense. Electro, electro and electronics, 26%. And this is like manufacturing uh, metal industry, 11%. Mm, that has a lot to do with bits and bobs. Value of new installations, $15.8 billion USD. Um, and moving on. This video is pretty neat. I'll be linking it up at MatthewPMBigelow.com. The top five countries, 79% of installations worldwide, include China, Japan, the USA, Korea, and Germany. Hmm. Quite a big Asian focus there, huh? Maybe that's why you don't really hear about, like, as the world grapples with, like, the ideas of, the robots are taking our jobs. Asian countries are like, it's making our companies more efficient. Roll them out now. The voice is weird today. I think I drank too much last night. Operational stack by region. Asia, 2.5 million. Europe, 728,000 units. America, America's 492,000 units. This is crazy. Uh, these are like clothing robots. Then you have people operating the robots and so on like that. This video is about to come to an end. Folding robots. Imagine having, this was supposed to be something that was, I, I read about a while ago. A robot that folds your laundry. It like, yeah, dry it. So you'd wash it like how you normally wash it. Then you throw it into a dryer. And it's like a a tall dryer with a big empty box on the bottom. And it dries the clothes. And then the clothes kind of plop out of the bottom. And like a robot folding machine folds all your clothes. And you just come into the room and all your clothes are folded by a robot. Now, that would be great. So that's Japan. So that's the... uh, When we look at the technical side, it just all makes sense. The numbers and all of that. Um, Now we're going to take a look at the other side. And this is, again, these are the two sides that are kind of battling out in the Japan Society 5.0 right now. When we have just... Um, like I said, the regulations for the automotive industry, it comes from a logical perspective, or at least the way that we think about it. So when we look at robots and AI and the ro- and, the, and, and, and making cars, it's already building on top of something that exists. But a lot of the other um, stuff that involves uh, making n- new factories that have to think about their green investments and all that. Well, the World Economic Forum comes into place, and that's what we're going to do next. This comes to us from November 2023 from the World Economic Forum website, and it's how Japan's semiconductor industry is leaping into the future. <laughs> Notice how they always coach, uh, they they couch uh, crazy communist ideology at the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab will be will be talking about uh, capitalism but behind him on a bookshelf is like a bust of of Vladimir Lenin. Uh, So it says in Japan, semiconductors are recognized as a crucial resource for economic security. The Japanese government also plans to allocate roughly 2 trillion yen or $13 billion to strengthen the domestic production system of semiconductors. Now, when you have that much money coming in, then you have all of these weird um, regulator activist types that, swim up and try to get a piece of the action, try to get their beaks wet. Innovation, com- yeah. fish swimming up to get their beaks wet. Innovation combined with public, private, and international collaboration is expected to rapidly boost Japan's semiconductor industry. Now, of course, I support like the semiconductor industry coming to Japan. Uh, if, if we can get the nuclear power plants back up and running and uh, secure a lot of um, talent to come in and work the semiconductor plants, that's going to be a very long-term, a great, great solution. But it comes the like, so Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he wrote the book along with um, Thierry Fleury, I think, um, COVID-19 and a Great Reset. And Klaus Schwab also wrote the book The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And he also wrote the book Stakeholder Capitalism and all these things. And it's just a way to have a parasitic relationship with the people that build everything. And if this comes so the first sentence in this report, you know, the other ones were just bullet points. Amid the disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic to the world economy and supply chains, the importance of semiconductors, essential for the manufacturing of cars and electronic products, has become increasingly evident. In Japan, semiconductors are recognized as a crucial resource. While Japan had a fifty share in the global semiconductor industry in 1988. This share has steadily declined since the 1990s, dwindling to 10% in 2019. And with today's global shortage of semiconductors, there is a growing recognition that maintaining and strengthening the domestic semiconductor industry is a crucial strategy, Uh, stated by Ogino Yosuke, director of the device industry and semiconductor strategy office at the Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry. Um, Fostering domestic investment through public-private collaboration. Now, public-private collaboration is key words in its code, essentially. What it means is the government as a public institute collaborates with private institutes like the World Economic Forum. So the World Economic Forum will fund all these think tanks. Then they will use World Economic Forum style speaking. Then they will push these people to governments worldwide and get governments to adopt World Economic Forum strategies and implement them into uh, national strategies. But it's all coded. Uh, So public-private collaboration sounds like a good thing. But really, it just means uh, the government, your government, and the World Economic Forum uh, working together to establish uh, world economic forum ideas in your government. Uh, the strategy includes ambitious initiatives such as the creation of the post 5g fund um, and the green innovation fund of 2.2 trillion. So now we get into the green innovation fund uh, focused on the development and implementation of semiconductors as the foundation for electrification and digitization, of various sectors to achieve carbon neutrality. So again, We have, okay, let's just make a whole bunch of uh, semiconductors, but we need the green initiative and we need digitization in various sectors, which is fine with me, but we to achieve carbon neutrality. Well, that to me means like no humans. When people say carbon neutrality, it's like, well, we're just going to remove the humans and we'll have more robots, but it'll be green. And then we as investors and stakeholders will just suck money out of this system for being green. Uh, The strategy, which was revised this year, encompasses new elements such as support for the development of semiconductors with reduced power consumption for artificial intelligence and the strengthening of Japan's semiconductor manufacturing infrastructure, including attracting foreign companies. Mmm, yes, you have to have a post-national world. The government aims to increase domestic semiconductor-related sales to over 15 trillion Japanese yen or $100 billion by 2030. Um... Does this go into anything else? Uh, just give me a second here. Just a little bit more here to um, prove the point that I was making about the WEF and the government using coded language like um, public-private uh, collaboration, meaning WEF and your government making you do stuff. This comes to us from the section called Solving the Labor Shortage Through Reskilling. Um, Says in the practical implementation of labor mobility and reskilling at the regional level, visualizing talent needs, quote, talent seeds, end quote, and educational resources is essential. Articulating the future profile of required talents, understanding the current state of the workforce, and identifying skill gaps are crucial steps. This process aims to formalize the necessary educational programs to bridge the gap and serve as a roadmap for reskilling. Now, now, that sounds all fine, but the, the end result here is it is expected that the innovation generated by the nation's excellent technology and the accelerating collaboration between the public and private sectors, as well as international partnerships, which is fine, you know, will pave the way for the future of Japan's semiconductor industry and help push the Japanese economy towards a virtuous cycle. Now, if we look up on the internet, Japanese Prime Minister Kishida and virtuous cycle... PM Kishida and vir- uh, virtuous cycle uh, Kishidaomics promises a virtuous growth cycle 2021 September 30th um Japan approves 110 billion dollars package to fight inflation quote we hope to stimulate consumption by increasing people's disposable income and creating a virtuous cycle in the economy," Kishida said. So it doesn't. Um, that, 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 you know, people will say, "Well, that's a smoking gun." Well, Kishida has a habit of repeating WEF talking points. Klaus Schwab will come over, and they will meet, and then they will make sure that in the notes on the website for the government that um, stakeholder capitalism and like new uh, new capitalism is, are are used interchangeably. So that's just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that whole, that whole thing about the WEF right now, that article was very dull and very boring. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I hated reading it, but it's to prove the point that on one side of the aspect, we have all these people building robots and making all this cool technology. Then when it comes to the regulation or the regulatory aspects to it, we have all these creepy, weird people from the World Economic Forum and all the green and the diversity people to come in and tell people how to regulate it in terms of their uh, idealized world for the future. They're not building the technology. They don't have, they don't know how to turn on a computer. They know how to turn on a computer. They wouldn't know how to install RAM into a computer. They they wouldn't, they, they don't know anything about this technology, but they kind of hover around saying, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's not great enough. It's not great enough. It's not great enough. Give me the money. Give me the money. Give me the money. And so you have all these people building all this stuff and then all these hangers on trying to regulate it so that it, it, it comes out in a way that approves um, their own worldview. And this comes to us as well in terms of the um, OpenAI CEO who was ousted, Mr. Sam Altman from ChatGPT, uh, a whole bunch of diversity people there and activists there said that he needed to go because they were rolling out too many products. And I'm not going to say, I know what's going on at OpenAI, but it's again, people building it up and the activists trying to regulate it or shut it down or, or nerf it in a way that cre- it creates what they want to see happen in the world instead of just letting it, letting it go and, and seeing how it can be made. Um, now, Basically, OpenAI was was co-founded by Elon Musk as a way to kind of spread open source AI materials to the world. And then it got out of his control. He doesn't have control about it anymore. And uh, Sam Altman, the new CEO, found ways to monetize it. And then he got a whole bunch of money from Microsoft. And then after he was ousted from his role with ChatGPT, uh, Microsoft said that they would hire him and now the the chat GPT people at OpenAI said no we want Sam Altman back and the new so he's going to go back Sam Altman to return as OpenAI CEO days after Ouster so it's coming like now we Microsoft is like in everything all the corporations use Microsoft the Excel all the management tools Microsoft is a control mechanism used to make our lives obedient to middle managers and corporate positions. That's what Microsoft basically does. And they don't want people to break away from their system because that's their whole value model. And if, if a competing product arises, Microsoft has a long history under Bill Gates, the monopolist to take it down, to incorporate it. They did the same thing with Skype. Skype was an amazing product. And then Microsoft took it over and it became garbage overnight. And everybody complained and Microsoft just said, yeah, well, we're proud of what we did. And uh, they don't consider it garbage. They consider it gold, even though it was really bad for a while. They also had that habit of just taking your money. But in a kind of a Chinese-like move, like when we see like uh, Chinese tech companies that suddenly it's like the government is now running them and they always were. This comes to us from the Nikkei.com. Sam Altman to return as OpenAI CEO CEO, days after ouster. New board member includes U.S. Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. What? Sam Altman is returning as CEO of OpenAI just days after his ouster, capping frenzied discussions about the future of the startup at the center of an artificial intelligence boom. The ChatGPT GPT maker also unveiled a new initial board with former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor as chair and Larry Summers, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, and Adam D'Angelo as directors. D'Angelo was part of the original board that had dismissed Altman. The return of Altman could potentially usher in a new era for the startup, which had long juggled concerns among staff about AI's dangers and its potential for commercialization. Quote, I'm looking forward to returning to OpenAI, Sam Altman posted on XSocial. Uh, the original board had given scant explanations for Altman's firing on, when he was fired, other than his lack of candor and its need to defend OpenAI's mission to develop AI that benefits humanity. All of that. What seems clear is that Microsoft will now play a much bigger role, that the partnership will become stronger and the two companies more integrated. Microsoft CEO's Satya Nadella welcomed the changes. Um, uh, We believe this is the first essential step on a path to a more stable, well-informed, and effective governance, he said on X. Uh, Microsoft shares rose nearly 1%. So um, basically what's happening is the uh, control mechanisms are coming into play. Like, they... When we had 4G rollout in 2012 or 2011 and people just started going on YouTube and getting hundreds of millions of views saying whatever they wanted uh, and created a competitive infrastructure to the existing media, they really didn't like that. And so now with the new rollouts, it's going to be all monitored and backed by the public-private partnerships. Microsoft working with the World Economic Forum working with your government so that they monitor how you use the AI so they will be able to use the AI however they want but when you interface with the AI you'll have a, a like 30,000 activists shoving their nose into your business and they will like their 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 opinions will 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 filter out of their... Like, will drip out of their nose, like, sick people with the flu and just cover everything you do with the AI with their gooey vision of the future, like, how you should use it. Like, I want to see a white European male battling a dragon and he's wearing a knight uniform. And it will come back and it will, like, be a black dude. (laughs) The dragon will be like, you can't have a dragon because it's racist. It's, like, too Asian. Uh, it has to be like maybe he'll be walking a, a dog. It'll be like, a. And it's like, okay, what happened there? It's like, well, we uh, de-biased your AI interactions to make it more in line with our diversity and equi- equity missions uh, that you opted into uh, just by clicking on the website. So there's that. A couple of other things that uh, go fall into this line, Japan Society 5.0. Japan's tech leaders accelerate its climate actions, XPM says, Mr. Yoshida Suga. Uh, and he also was a Build Back Better type. I have him on video saying so, as is in his address to the UN. Alibaba founder Jack Ma starts ready made food company, Docomo, to showcase diverse technologies at Docomo Open House 24. Dokomo, one of Japan's major telecommunications industries that used to be owned by the government and now basically works with the government as a public-private uh, enterprise, and working with diverse technologies. Line operator says 440,000 440, personal data items leaked. That's big news. Uh, and the last one, I'm not sure if we'll get to it. I might do it another time, but uh, yeah, I'll do it another time. It's not necessary for now. So those are the kind of the competing factions in the Society 5.0. On one side, we have the amazing architects building the chat GPTs. Chat, I, I was doing some translation work and I was wondering about some sentences and if they reflected the original translation. And chat GPT, I would be like, was this reflected accurately? And chat GPT would be like, yes, it does. But when you use this English word, it reflects this Japanese word. But here are some other English words that might be of usage uh, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, that word might be a better word. And it was able to, like, just do that by copying and pasting, like, an English section, a Japanese section, and, like, saying, does this is this accurate or inaccurate? And it came back with, like, suggestions. That's amazing technology. And then I'll say, like, okay, well, I'm going to be recording some music in Logic Pro X on Apple, and I want to know um, what are some typical first steps and, like, immediately it says, well, you need to do this, 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 and this. So it, there's, like, that's an amazing technology. It's crazy how well it's being built. There's those sides. The, there's the robots that are doing all the work in the factories. And then it's, like, now we just have, like, this new group of, like, white collared, you know, chair activists. What are they called? Like, slacktivists, hacktivists. And they just sort of sit there and they go, nope, no, nope, no." Nope. Nope, sorry, your company's not diverse enough. No SDG scores for you. We're not using your robots. We want a black CEO. And it's like, what are you talking about? Why do we have to deal with these people coming into our lives? If the CEO is black, fair enough. Who cares? But it's like these people that think that they have control in the levers of society and they can just kind of say, no, nope, 27% more ethnicity of this type over here, 32% less ethnicity over this type over there. And then we're going to get 42% more women in the boardrooms in Southeast Asia over here. And they just, they they venture through their whole lives basically mandating what everybody else should do. And they make good money doing it.
1: The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face.
0: Have you considered donating to the Japan What podcast? Of course you have. Go right now to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Send us some traffic. Check out the show notes. All the links I talk about are there for your perusal. We also have photos as well for some of those robots, <laughs> uh, and we also have donation abil- abil- uh, abilities for you to engage with at PayPal. You can use PayPal at uh, PayPal.me forward slash Japan W U T. That's PayPal.me forward slash Japan W U T. We're also part of the Podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. As the censorious nature of these giant platforms comes under the control of the public and partner private ships, uh, partnerships, it's up to you to act now, essentially, to make sure that uh, your freedom to choose is yours and yours only. Podcasting 2.0 allows you to do that. It's an uh, open source architecture uh, for podcasting and podcast apps. Uh, Podverse is one app. CurioCaster is another app. There's a variety of apps for you there. Uh, and the benefit is that they have chapters. They're developed by people who are passionate about the podcasting experience and understand what's coming down the pike. Now, you can also donate Bitcoin directly to podcasters like me uh, via Satoshi Micropayments. Just click on the boost button. So get a GetAlbi wallet uh, and then you can start sending it. Bitcoin directly to the podcasters and it's a way to um, support open source infrastructure and um, putting some money where your mouth is and investing in a non censorious future that is basically monitored by all of those dickheads that I was talking about earlier. All of the managers you've ever had in your life that you went what is this guy talking about? They're going to be in your phones more and more and more telling you what to do. MatthewPMBigelow.com. Die for the war. Never more. Die for the good. For the good. Die for the war. Die for the war. Die for the war. Um, there's looks like the Ukraine Russia war is winding down. Uh, Ukraine's gonna get screwed. Uh, Russia's going to walk off with a giant part of that, of that country. And you know, uh, all those Slavic Ukraine people can take a, take a hike. I, I don't support wars by the way. I don't want the karma blown back on me. Like people saying like, Oh, go Ukraine fight, fight, fight. It's like, so how many hundred, like two or three hundred thousand men have died in this war? Millions of women have fled the country. By saying, by promoting it, now you have that humanitarian crisis on your hands, in my opinion. And so I say, oh, I'm not very interested in supporting those wars. Uh, I'm going to walk away from it. So that's that was my opinion. But then as we have... um the fifth generational aspects to these things, oftentimes now, like, you know, before World War II, there was no nuclear bombs, but now we think about nuclear bombs whenever we can. Uh, before World War One, there weren't really tanks. It was fought with horses, right? But now we think about tanks as if it's normal. So each major war, the technology kind of introduces a new element to how a war is done, and now with supply chains, uh, screwing around with supply chains is, in my opinion, is one form of a war. The um, energy supply chains, the the good supply chains, all of that type of stuff. And as we see, China and Russia working with Iran and like North Korea and all that, uh, kind of trying to establish their no, new international order of supply chains, um, waging war uh, using the supply chain networks would make their competitors face steeper costs and, and more inefficiencies and have their own side of the supply chains be more easily used and under their control. So they're probably, like, trying to suck up more of the pie uh, of the available money into their supply chain networks by figuring out ways to diminish others. And um, that's what we have a little bit for today. And it says... um, Israeli owned ship comes under Iranian suicide drone attack in Indian Ocean. So that's one aspect of the war. Uh, But Japan, I'll get to that in a second. This is the one I wanted to cover first because it's about Japan. From NHK, uh, 19 hours ago. So this would be November 27th. NHK, Japan's Marine Self Defense Forces, or Maritime, sorry, Japan's Maritime Self Defense Forces share info on tanker hijacked off Yemen. This is not the one from a week ago. This is another one. NHK has learned that Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force has responded to the hijacking of a tanker off Yemen on Sunday. Defense Ministry sources say MSDF destroyer Akebono and a P-3C patrol plane rushed to the incident site in the Gulf of Aden to gather and pass on information to the U.S. military and others. The Liberian flag tanker Central Park, bad name managed by a British company, was commandeered by attackers on Sunday and later released. Defense Ministry sources say there were no injuries. The sources also say that MSDF members did not use weapons. Under Japan's anti-piracy law, they are allowed to fire warning shots. The Defense Ministry of Japan has been on heightened alert in the Gulf of Aden since a Houthi rebel group in Yemen seized a cargo ship operated by a Japanese firm in the Red Sea on November 19th. The Galaxy Leader, great name. So that's just more, um, you can't really predict where war is going to go. And now we have, uh, you know, Japan monitoring ships with their destroyers in the Gulf of uh, Aden or in in near Yemen and all of that. That's one aspect of it. Uh, And another aspect of the shipping, global shipping on edge after Houthis seize Israeli vessels. So this goes back to us and, as more and more people are invested in like the shipping industry is crazy how it operates. It's flagged here. It's owned by this person, this group, but it's managed by this group. So it's like, it's a Bahamian flagged Japanese control, but, uh, owned by co-owned by an Israeli businessman. So as the, um, as the current wars dictate to it, just screw around with supply chains. You know, all, if you have a whole bunch of, allied nations that are operating shipping lines, you can target a bunch of your potential rivals uh, just by screwing around with one of their ships. And then now your shipping lane, your shipping industry seems a lot more robust. Um, we'll, We'll stop it there. U.S. spy drones relocated to Okinawa despite local objection. That's a very interesting one. Uh as we kind of move into the Taiwan conflict more and more, there was like more of a heated debate about it uh, five, six months ago. Uh, but it's kind of calmed down since then. And I think that with the current trajectories, we're going to see more supply chain screw around. it. Like it's going to be fought in the supply chains. But to defend against potential armies, we're going to see porcupines, being um, established throughout the asia pacific porcupines means just putting a bunch of missiles on these islands and if you try to take them well we're going to launch like 100 missiles at you and you're going to get screwed up you might take the island but you know how many how many islands can you take if we if they're all porcupines so by defending the territory now it shifts the potential route of attack into the supply chains for fifth generational warfare or as the Chinese like to call it, unrestricted warfare, which allows for the, you know, you can't beat America in a in a in a kinetic fight, so you take them out in other ways. US spy drones relocated to Okinawa despite local objection coming to us from Kyoto News via JapanToday.com. And uh, we're gonna see more monitoring of of things. There's like a defense of Perspective: The U.S. military in Japan relocated its reconnaissance drone operations unit to Okinawa, despite local objection after its temporary deployment in the southwestern Kyushu region, according to the Japanese government, as part of moves to strengthen surveillance of Chinese activities in nearby waters. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, Mr. Elbridge Colby, a intelligence analyst whose grandfather was the head of the CIA during the Vietnam War, uh, I asked him about this type of stuff. And he sent me some documents that were very interesting and important about uh, AI radar capabilities between China and all that. And I did cover it, but just briefly, by using long-range radar operations combined with AI imaging, it can take low-resolution images and um, identify what they could possibly be. Like, for example, a, a Japanese ship or an American ship, a civilian ship, what type of ship. And if you connect all of these um, radars together via an Internet balloons, like those giant balloons, then now you can have um, accurate, like, sky, ground, ocean mapping capabilities being kind of monitored all in real time for monitoring aggression towards China or what China would consider to be aggression. So... That's why we see a lot more cooperation these days between South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, backed by the U.S. to have a lot more um, intelligence operations sharing between these countries because China will be sharing that technology possibly with Russia and then into North Korea. So it creates like this uh, vast coastal... AI monitoring network, um, between China, Russia, North Korea, and then Iran as well. And it goes on and on from there. Uh, so defense minister Minoru Kihara told reporters earlier this month that eight MQ-9 Reaper unmanned aircraft began operating at the U.S. Kadena air base in the Southern Island prefecture and will remain stationed there for an indefinite period. On November 21st last year, the MQ-9s were tentatively deployed for a year at the Maritime Self-Defense Forces Kanoya Air Base in the Southwestern Prefecture of Kagoshima. The relocation of the MQ-9s is part of Washington's efforts to boost surveillance and intelligence activities near the Asian nation near the Asian nations southwestern Nansei Island chain where Beijing's growing maritime assertiveness has been seen. It goes on from there. Quote, the efficiency of U.S. military operations takes priority, and there has been no mention of how long they will be deployed. The excessive burden of hosting U.S. military bases on locals appears to be disregarded. End quote. Okinawa Governor Denny Tamaki told press conference in mid-October. So, just a little quotation there at the end. Yeah, some of the locals don't like it. Can't really blame them. (laughs) It's like, hey, what are we getting? You're getting a whole bunch of military surveillance drones. Doesn't that put a target on our back? It kind of does. But we're going to put a whole bunch of missiles there, too. Won't those explode and I live here? Yes, they will. By the way, what's happening in Israel and and Gaza? Oh, a lot of missiles falling from the ground and blowing up schools and hospitals. Hmm, I wonder if that's going to happen to me. Shut up, civilian, and take the drones! (laughs) Anything else for the war for today? I think... Oh. Yes. Now, for some reason, NATO and Japan are having a cyber dialogue. And I think it goes back to the AI capabilities that I was saying earlier about radar, AI, internet balloon networks, and, uh, you know, creating vivid 3D maps in real time about uh, monitoring systems off of uh, China's uh, coasts and stuff like that. Very. Very advanced and robust. And believe me, they don't have a bunch of diversity people telling them to reduce the carbon footprint of their AI surveillance radars. Okay? The last thing on their mind. On Tuesday, this comes to us from uh, MOFA, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Japan, uh, mofa.geo.jp. On Tuesday, November 21st, the first Japan-North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, cyber dialogue was held in Brussels, Belgium. What? This is very short. Number one, this is just a bullet point. Number one, this meeting was co-chaired by Mr. Ishizuki Hideo, ambassador in charge of cyber policy and deputy director general of Foreign Policy Bureau, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Japan. Uh, and Mr. David Van Weel, Assistant Secretary General of NATO for Emerging Security Challenges. From the Japanese side, officials from MOFA, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, National Center of Incident Readiness, and Strategy, Strategy for Cybersecurity and Ministry of Defense attended the dialogue. In this dialogue, the two sides exchanged views on broad topics ranging from each side's policy and future bilateral cooperation in the field of cyber. Uh, a few months ago, NATO was floating the idea of establishing a Japanese uh, an office in Tokyo. And everyone's like, You're NATO. Get the hell out of here. Why would you establish a, a giant NATO building? We're not the North Atlantic. We're not part of your weird military operation. And they went, Yeah, that's right. It's too obvious. What if we make it cyber and we just communicate via email? We'll have a network. We'll have our shared office in the network. Nobody will know and nobody will complain. Oh, very good idea. Number three, both sides confirmed that they will continue to closely work together in the field of cyber, including through the Japan-NATO cyber dialogue. Uh, there we go. So uh, just a, another example of um, saying, oh, what? We're not opening an office. We're going to open an office. Why? Why? That's ridiculous. We're not opening an office. We're, not, we're just talking. It's fine. But we will now open an office in the internet. Nobody's gonna know. <laughs> Die for the war. Everybody move. Die for the good,
1: for the good. Die for the war. Die for the war.
0: Die for the war couple of uh domestic points before we finish the podcast for today.
1: Here we go. Um
0: Japan has a lot of weird uh mason like you know those guys that it's like a secret society and then they like to use the number 33 Um, there's a whole bunch of, uh, iconography throughout Tokyo about these people. And I kind of like it. Uh, I, do I support them? Kind of actually the idea with, um, a lot of the masons is that, uh, instead of uh, hiding all of your information in books and ledgers and libraries that can burn down, you, uh, build things that have the information encoded into the architecture and then other civilizations that understand advanced mathematics will understand what you're trying to convey by analyzing the um, mathematics of the architecture. So it's a way to preserve uh, advanced information and understanding inside of physical infrastructure and engineering. Very fascinating. Uh, one example is uh, Tokyo Tower and the Telecom Center on Odaiba Um It's there. Trust me. It's there. But the number 33 appears a lot, for some reason. Um, (laughs) Or 30, or... Just look at the number 33. Japan's 330-meter tallest skyscraper, uh, Azabudai Hills, opens in Tokyo. Japan's tallest skyscraper, coming to us from Kyoto, opened in the heart of Tokyo on Friday, with visitors on its first business day expressing their excitement about the capital's new nature-rich 330-meter landmark. Some... 30 million people are expected to visit the place and its surrounding facilities, said Morty Building Co., the developer of the 640 billion yen complex. The 64-story tower, which contains offices from its 5th to 52nd floors, beats the previous title holder of Abe no Haruka's in Osaka by 30 meters and is almost as tall as Tokyo Tower, which stands at 333 meters." The building is the main feature of the Azabudai Hills Complex, which features uh, expansive green space and houses 120 new rooms of Amman Resorts upscale hotel, as well as 1,400 residential re- re- units, high-end restaurants, luxury shops, and it goes on from there. So a very interesting, very beautiful building. Uh, I'll be posting a picture of it onto Um Japan warns that China, Russia share goal of creating New global order, right? So if you ever, like, think about the new world order, uh, there's, like, I never really thought about it, and people would say it, and I'd be like, whatever that means. But then I started, like, seeing clips of George Bush, Sr., who was, like, an intelligence chief who became the president, and he's, like, talking to a bunch of people at, like, an event. He's like, and when we build a new new world order, and we will and it's just all these people saying new world order but then you say new world order and people go you're a conspiracy theorist but it's like well he says it all the time and he's a leader but to avoid the conspiracy theory angle we changed the world like international rules-based order well what's that well that's 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 <laughs> what's the inference how can we rephrase that oh new world order new global order oh new world order a think tank linked to Japan's defense and ministry warned Friday that China and Russia share a common strategic goal of creating a new international order, uh, a new world order, so that they can use force to change the status quo more easily. Both Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin have a hostile view of the existing global order, New World Order, based on the fundamental values of freedom and democracy, Japan's National Institute for Defense Studies said in its China security report. Xi and Putin regard the current order as, the current New World Order, as an obstacle to enhancing their interests. No, of course. they kicked Russia out of SWIFT and China's supposed to be just this like, place to manufacture cheap goods for the rest of the world. They're probably sick of it. The annual report came as Japan and other democracies led by the United States have grown more vigilant against China's provocative military activities in the Indo-Pacific region and have condemned Russia for its invasion of Ukraine since February 2022. Calling it the Indo-Pacific region is just a way to not use the South China Sea and legitimize China's claims there. China's ruling Communist Party has been attempting to change the post-Cold War international order, (laughs) New World Order, to protect its core interests through the use of force. Xi has described Taiwan as a core interest and has pledged to reunify it. Beijing and Taipei have been governed separately since they split in 1949 due to a civil war. Meanwhile, Xi considers Russia, which has adopted a more assertive stance against Western countries and the NATO-led European security framework, well, that's an interesting way to say New World Order, Western countries and the NATO-led European security framework as an important strategic partner in working towards transforming the existing order— New World Order, the think tank said. By strengthening military cooperation, including joint patrols and waters surrounding Japan, it is possible China and Russia may form a de facto alliance, a new New World Order. I'm saying new New World Order. The report said, so far it is believed that the two nations have not built a military alliance. Yeah, right. Tension between the China-Russia camp and the U.S.-led democracies, New World Order, is seeking to maintain the status quo is expected to escalate and persist in the long term with the involvement of developing and emerging countries in the global south. The report said in a bid to tackle China and Russia, Japan should beef up its defense capabilities and bolster its alliance with the United States while promoting diplomacy with nations such as those in Southeast Asia, which share fundamental values. It said anyways, I thought that was fine. We all know about these things, but just the amount of, uh Ways the amount of alternative expressions to New World Order seen in this article with uh, never uh, talking about New World Order explicitly is kind of hilarious. Last one. Should we do some more? Should I save this for another day? What are we looking at for time here? We're about an hour in, so I'll leave the other ones uh, for another day. I think that's enough for today. I think that's enough. Let's just take a look at one more thing, though. Here we go All right agree disagree with uh, some of my analysis there uh, there are no other podcasts looking at it in this way from what I can tell. So thank you for listening. Uh, you found it the Japan What Podcast with me, Matt Bigelow, coming at you from the Tomi Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan, the armpit of Asia. Go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Japan uh, What donations can be done by PayPal.me forward slash JapanWUT. Download a podcasting 2.0 app. And until everybody, till next time, everybody, I bid thee farewell. I bid thee ja. ¡Mata! ¡Ne!